Welcome to Highway 89, BYU Broadcasting's live music performance program. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Joining me in the studio this hour are Orpheus Wins, the faculty woodwind quintet of Brigham Young University, and also Scott Holden at the piano. He heads up keyboard studies here at BYU. There's quite a legacy behind Orpheus Wins. It was formed 40 years ago, and the name has remained. While the players have changed, the current roster features flutist April Clayton, Geraldine Giovanetti on oboe, horn player Lawrence Lowe, Jaron Hinckley on clarinet, and Christian Smith bassoon. Together, they've made the ensemble one of the leading woodwind quintets in the western United States. They perform nationally and internationally with recent tours to Canada, the U.K., and before that in Puebla, Mexico, and Salvador, Brazil. There's a lot I could say about these players. They each have a long list of impressive achievements. They are the teacher's teachers, but for time's sake, let's just say they're good. In fact, you'll hear they're really good. We'll start with a piece written by French composer Albert Roussel, who spent the first seven years of his life as a midshipman traveling the world before settling down to compose. And though his music sometimes clashes, nearly always resolves, as one critic said of his music, it can bark, it can growl, but in the end, it wags its tail. Here is Divertissement, Opus 6, by Albert Roussel.
That seemed to have wagged its tail at the end a little bit. Albert Roussel's Divertissement, Opus 6, performed live by BYU's faculty quintet Orpheus Wins and pianist Scott Holden. Christian Smith teaches bassoon at BYU and conducts the symphony orchestra. He's a member of the Sundance Trio with Jed Moss and Gerilyn Giovanetti, who's playing oboe today. Christian's wife, Patricia, is also a bassoonist, giving a whole new meaning to the Double Reed family. <laughs> and they <laughs> have good. nine musical children. Christian, thank you for coming and playing today. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Steve. Your older brother, Marcus Smith, happens to direct radio services here at BYU. So, of right. course, we told him you were coming in, and we said, tell us a little bit about. Oh, dear. And he said you had this habit in your drum major days of twirling things, everything, from batons to military mazes. He mentioned cookie sheets. That sounds right. almost dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as you have enough space on each side of you and front and back of you, it works out okay. W was it a bassoon for you from the very beginning when you began playing? No, I actually uh, grew up in a, in a wonderful uh, public school musical environment where the junior high teacher would come to his feeder schools and would teach free lessons. So I was able to learn the trumpet and uh, a number of other instruments. And then finally, in about eighth grade, I found the bassoon. When you were as tall as the instrument, finally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell us uh, about this next piece. This is by Richard Faith, uh, written in uh, 2001, published just two years ago, uh, 2012. Right. So we're premiering new music. We're doing something interesting. We'll, we'll hear all three movements. We'll stop and talk between them. But uh, tell us what we're in for with this new piece. This is a wonderful piece. Um, actually, a friend of mine from the University of Arizona sent me the score about a year ago and uh, sat on my piano for in my office for a while, and, and finally Gerilyn and I, uh, I think I mentioned it to her, and, she, and, and I think she's the one who found it, or ordered it, and um, it's a wonderful piece. It's, it's neo-romantic, quite tonal, really, um, with these wonderful sweeping melodies, and uh, like I say, it's mostly tonal, although he, he experiments a little bit, but that's his, his language is pretty much founded in the tonal tradition. And is that typical for one of you to bring a piece for everybody to consider? Is there's, there's no there's no music director hat. Right, right. Person. We all take our turns and uh, to bring literature, and, and it was Gerilyn's turn, and she thought, you know, it'd be worth reading at least. And we, once we read this piece, uh, we we quickly grew to, to like it, and, and I think we really love it at this point. Christian, thank you. We'll be listening for your part on the bassoon here. We're about to hear this new work uh, by Richard Faith, just a few years old. He calls this Sextet, and we'll talk between the movements. Uh, Faith, Richard Faith, born 1926, Evansville, Indiana. And even before he was a teenager, he was choosing texts uh, like uh, wor words by works by words worth and setting them to, to music. So here we're going to hear the first movement on Dantino Cantabile from the Sextet by Richard Faith.
the first movement of Richard Faith's Sextet for Wind Quintet and Piano, performed live on Highway 89. I'm Stephen Cap Perry, visiting today with the musicians of BYU's faculty ensemble, Orpheus Winds. April Clayton was director of chamber music for seven years at the European American Musical Alliance in Paris, France. Her latest album of flute concertos is Flute Horizons on the Tantera label. April, you've been here before. We're so glad to have you back. It's good to be back. It's so nice to hear an ensemble like this where every instrument has such a different color. Yeah, it's very different from a string quartet where even though the instruments are different sizes, they're very similar with the timbre. Well, I wonder, uh, I I have this little poem about flutists I I want to share with you. All right, I'm game. (laughs) This is from Shel Silverstein. It says, I really should have studied flute, harmonica, or chimes. A clarinet is nice and light. A fiddle would be fine, but I had to take piano, and my teacher is a brute. He lives up seven flights of stairs. I wish I played the flute. Oh, that sounds entirely (laughs) accurate. (laughs) So the only thing you could do is either go to piccolo or castanets to travel more lightly. But uh, Piccolo, yeah, but you almost always have to have your flute if you're also carrying a piccolo, and that's a lot of work to carry both. (laughs) (laughs) So much, so much. The bassoon player is rolling his eyes, I think, over in the corner. You've had a very interesting year, uh, starting with a cameo appearance on uh, appearance on ESPN. I looked at I looked this up on YouTube, and it sort of looks like. Uh, Bellatrix, Bellatrix Lestrange step from Harry Potter into the musical <laughs> world, the way you're, you're made up. What was this for on ESPN? I should mention that Jaron, our colleague here on clarinet, did a very excellent job dressing up as well. In fact, I believe I was largely inspired by his behavior. Okay. Well, he was so successful, I didn't even recognize him. Yeah. <laughs> so... Well, backstage, we just had a lot of fun putting on the white powder and black lipstick, and it was for uh, excerpts from the Fall of the House of Usher that Christian Asplund on the faculty here had written, arranged for narrator and uh, chamber ensemble. So it was for Halloween. We don't typically dress that way. You did something most flute players don't get to do, which is solo on a a metal album. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, the group is Sub Rosa. I'm so glad my activities are valued here at BYU. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you become a, a flute professor. This is what you well, do. This is what you can do once you have tenure. <laughs> well, <laughs> the worry fades away. Right. And you, uh, what what I what really caught my interest was that there was this big solo section for the flute <laughs> in the middle of the piece, and I'd never really made the connection between the trilling of the flute and trills and and 30 second notes of 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 speed guitar playing right just the and i thought wait this is the same thing in Uh, in just a different genre um it was really interesting to do that recording session there were i didn't know if they would hand me music to read or what and mostly the lead singer kind of sang to me the melodies that she envisioned and we made them work we figured out how to make it go but then when we got to that section, the band just said, we want some really cool, fast, classical type trilly stuff. <laughs> and so I said, I don't know what you'll get, but um, they had me do a couple of tracks. And I said, feel free to discard those. But it seems like it worked out. It was very nice. There is also a, a, a John Philip Sousa, his advice to piccolo players, when in doubt, trill. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that's what I did. So I don't know a lot about metal, to be honest. Well, thank you all for being generous today. As we continue with the sextet by Richard Faith, now the second movement, Lento Espressivo. (laughs) 
We're making our way through composer Richard Faith's sextet for Piano and Winds. That was the second movement performed live here in Studio 6 by Orpheus Winds, a faculty ensemble from BYU. I'm Stephen Cap Perry, and our next guest is Lawrence Lowe. He records extensively for motion pictures and television. He's been a soloist at five workshops sponsored by the International Horn Society, and he's also known for his lecture... The Horn Player's Guide to the Seven Deadly Sins. That sounds like it would draw an audience. Uh, it did, actually. There were three choices, and I got the lion's share. <laughs> so tell us uh, first about these seven deadly sins as they relate to horn players. Well, first, what are they? And maybe more importantly, how deadly? Well, um, actually, nothing about horn playing is actually lethal. I, I keep thinking about how bad we feel when we miss a high C. It's about how a fighter pilot feels when he crashes into the ocean with a multi-million dollar F-15 underneath <laughs> him or something like that. Um, I, I started giving that talk when I was a very young professional, and, and originally some of the seven deadly sins had to do with technique and how to play. But as I uh, grew older, I realized that what people really needed was to know how to behave so that their careers would not self-destruct. Because quite frankly, through the years, most of the people that you end up firing are people you just don't want to work with anymore. No it's, matter their talent. It almost has nothing to do with competence. It's almost never about that. And so I have a list of seven deadly things that if you do, you can wreck a career. Give us a couple of those. You know, it's funny. I have them on my, uh, my computer over there. <laughs> but I'll try to remember some of them. First of all, um, I talk about uh, not name-dropping around colleagues, trying to show them how great you are because of the wonderful people you've been with and you've studied with and you've played with, mm -hmm. the great conductor, because you can be very intimidating. Um, I talk about making sure that you're always where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be, with who you're supposed to be. Uh, I talk about not accepting one gig or uh, engagement and then finding out there's a more high-paying one and dropping that one and then taking the better uh, one and leaving the first people in the lurch, things the like that. The flakiness factor. Yeah. I talk about treating your bread-and-butter gig like a wire stand gig. Now, a wire stand gig, we all know that's when you show up and you, you know, you're, you're practically late and you get the wire stand out of the trunk and you read some stuff at a wedding or something. But that's not the kind of gig that makes, makes you your living. Uh, a faculty position, for example, is one where there are responsibilities and you've got to take care of it. But I have colleagues that have treated their faculty positions as if it was just showing up for something and sight reading. And you can't do that. Also, the last one is actually, uh, I remind my audience that only five guys at once, or, or five musicians, five horn players, are going to be in the Chicago Symphony at any given time. So you might as well not complain about the gig you've got. Be grateful for what you have. <laughs> well, you like do that. have one particular challenge here at BYU that isn't at every university, which is you have excellent players come and then leave for 18 months, two years on LDS missions and get back and, whoa, what is their lip condition like after that? Well, it depends on the student. You know, when I was a young missionary, I came back and I just went nuts. After one week, my lip was ripped back into shape and after three months I gave my first recital and I figured when I got the job at BYU years later well that's the way it's done because that's what I did 
And I found out that, first of all, I was very lucky I didn't destroy my embouchure. And a lot of students take six months. Sometimes after a year, they're still going, you know, it just doesn't feel like it felt before. Sometimes I think a window of physical opportunity closes, just like it does for some of our athletes, while they're gone. And when they come back, it just doesn't seem to work as well. Oddly enough, some of them seem to come back and play better than they ever did and immediately are amazing. Uh, but the the key is to take it easy, take it slow. And I did all of I did it completely wrong and got lucky. So I had to learn when I got here that the way I did it was not the way to teach it. Let's let you take your place. We're going to hear this third movement. This is the adagio from the sextet. And I should uh, mention also that uh, Dr. Lawrence Lowe also composes music. In fact, in 2013, Orpheus Wins premiered his piece, Musing on Images from Hubble, referring to images from the Hubble telescope. Now the third and final movement of Sextet by Richard Faith.
the final movement of Richard Faith's Sextet, new music published in 2012. That ends this edition of Highway 89. Our musicians today have been Orpheus Winds, the faculty woodwind quintet of Brigham Young University, and playing together their their wonderful technique and blend, reminding us that a wind quintet is just a lot more than a conglomeration of the solo voices from Peter and the Wolf. Geraldine Giovanetti on oboe, April Clayton flute, horn player Lawrence Lowe, Jaron Hinckley on clarinet, Christian Smith bassoon, and Scott Holden joining the group on piano. Orpheus Winds is one of the leading woodwind quintets in the western United States. They perform nationally and internationally with recent tours to Canada, the UK, Mexico, and Brazil. We welcome your comments and questions about today's show. To contact us, simply email us at highway89 at byu.edu. Expertly unobtrusive page-turning today from Dale Lundstrom. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. Our recording engineer, Mark Waite, and our show's producer, Jackie Tateishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thank you for listening. <laughs>